The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawkbox. We are live in Barcelona and London today. Here are your headlines. All things AI dominate talks here at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. As Deutsche Telekom CEO Tim Hooker tells CNBC, Europe must make changes in order to compete. Europe has lost its momentum in the digital world and as well in the telcos. And we are not investing sufficiently. You know, consolidation is not taking place. There is no kind of one telco market for Europe yet. Berkshire Hathaway banks a record annual profit, bringing Warren Buffett's cash pile to new highs. But the Oracle of Omaha warns it will take a lot to see the same returns in the years ahead. Donald Trump triumphing in South Carolina, defeating the challenger Nikki Haley in her home state and solidifying his lead as the Republican frontrunner, even as Haley vows to fight on. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine pushes into its third year as a congressional standoff in the United States threatens to derail essential military aid for the war-torn country. If Ukraine loses, we'll be in for really hard times. And whether we suffer a great number of losses depends on you, on our partners, on the Western world. If we remain strong militarily, we will not lose this war. says the world focuses in on this AI frenzy. Now, Mobile World Congress kicks off today officially in Barcelona, though it feels as though it was a mini day one yesterday. We do bring together some of the biggest names from across the mobile and connectivity space. I spoke to Deutsche Telekom CEO Tim Hookers, who told me Europe needs to play catch up in order to compete. Europe has lost its momentum in the digital world and as well in the telcos. And we are not investing sufficiently. You know, consolidation is not taking place. There is no kind of one telco market for Europe yet. And US and Asia, China, all these markets are really growing fast. Germany is not making a difference. And we want to make a stand that something has to change now. You have scale, though, with significant operations in the United States, more than 61 million mobile subscribers in the past year or so. How much more scale do you need? Look, I'm the lucky camper of the four, to be honest, you know, because we have this two legs, one in the US with our T-Mobile activities and the one here in Europe. The others are only invested in Europe. And you must know in Europe there are more than 45 players, while on all other markets there are only three players. The economies of scale in our industries in Europe are much worse. Most of the players are not earning their capital cost. How can industries who are suffering that much invest into the future of the digital infrastructure? And we want to understand to say we're doing our part of better collaboration among the telcos, but we will do as well. We need the support from the political institutions here. Telecoms were meant to maximize the 5G journey by finding new revenues, new digital sources of revenue. Have they simply not done that enough? Look, to be honest, the 5G case, you know, is not something which is making a lot of money. 
The opposite is the case because people are now using 5G services for 4G prices or 3G prices. Our price per gigabyte for consumers has gone down. In the inflation, most of the industry raised their prices. Telco industries, for instance, in Germany, lost 1% point, you know, compared to other industries raised by 10 or 20%. So we are not able to pass through prices because of the overcompetition of our market. We are investing into the infrastructure 5G and fiber at the same time. On top of that, we have to pay spectrum at billions to rent it, while in the US, you buy the spectrum for, for, for a long time. And on top of that, you know, we are not even eligible for the green transition to taxonomy in Europe. To be honest, we don't understand anymore what Brussels is doing for these industries. And we are suffering, you know, low capital uh, returns and uh, we want to invest more. A robust argument there from Tim Hookers. Now, normally most of the protests are outside the conference centre, but this time it's going to be different. It feels like most of those protesting voices will be inside. I'll be on stage with the four biggest telcos, the CEOs from those companies, as they spell out the case for the reinvention of digital connectivity in Europe. You heard from Tim there. His argument is that, look, the ARPUs are much lower. This is the, the industry revenues in Europe. He looks at his own business saying, we own revenues in both places, the United States uh, with that very big T-Mobile business, but also Deutsche Telekom and other operations in Europe. A lot of those uh, revenues from the United States are used to help fund the European investments. Other businesses do not have that scale across border. The other big point here is that he's saying, look, if you look at the uh, industry numbers, they do not add up. Revenue uh, or the amount of uh, money deployed, the amount of money that's spent on infrastructure is not coming back because the capital costs are so high. Interest rates clearly have gone up. That's impacted the dynamics of the industry. Many across Europe are simply not making money. The big car crash I want to show you is on some of the stock prices. It's uh, the five-year basis if you look at the performance even across the industry, United States to Europe. Across the board, there has been destruction on capital prices. And if you look at uh, Deutsche Telekom, it's the only one that is positive for the five-year journey. Most are double-digit down, and that is from Orange in Europe to the likes of Verizon, AT&T in the United States. You can see that destruction. Vodafone, one of the worst, done 50% on a five-year basis. So the reinvention is something that many are calling for. The other big speaker yesterday in the keynote was Christel Hederman from Orange, who's talking about these contradictory pressures, saying there are enormous demands on industry to catch up in terms of delivering greater connectivity with more traffic. A lot of that coming from the big technology players in the United States, but saying, look, regulators put a cap on prices and force the amount of investment through 5G. So saying it simply does not stack up. The other big announcements coming this week, clearly around new phones, and that is the future. AI phones, AI has been a huge theme on markets last week. How do we come up with a system, a connectivity landscape that works for AI, all the data centers and also the AI devices created in future? So that is something, the next challenge that is coming for industry, Steve. Karen, um, I'll take your five years and I'll up it by the entire century. This sector, no matter who has been in charge of it, no matter what excuses have come out from the leadership of this sector, has been one of the worst performing sectors on the planet. The fact of the matter is, no matter what technology that they've got excited about and all their acolytes in the media and uh, other areas have gone on about, whether it's 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, 
whether it's cloud, whether it's now AI. It's been utter nonsense that any of this has moved the needle on the share price. And I, I take on board fully what you were just saying about some of the gains. But I had a look at every single one of your stocks um, that you're on your panel later. Telefonica, Orange, Vodafone. Um, and Deutsche Telekom, and they've all been woeful performers for the entire century. So the entire 24 years of it so far. This sector is a car crash, isn't it? Exactly what I was just saying. If you look at the performance, it's dire. And I wasn't sure if I was talking to Steve Sedgwick yesterday or Tim Hookers because it was the same argument that something must change. And there was this report that was out from PwC yesterday, effectively questioning the future of some of the large players in Europe, uh, just whether they could uh, continue on. 46% of telecom CEOs think their companies won't make another decade. That's from a PwC report. It's in the share price. It's pretty evident that something must change. And there was a lot of anger directed to the European regulator for not allowing consolidation. This is going to be an argument you hear a lot about over the course of this week, that scale is necessary to get the ARPUs high to make investing necessary, but also the access uh, to some of the, the big European programs, uh, the EU taxonomy, whether there should be some form of assistance here now for industry to ensure those connectivity needs for the future, because connectivity is going to be driving the uh, move towards green targets. So that is something that is very much on the agenda here at Mobile World Congress. The other big argument I'll leave you with, the industry yesterday, Tim Hookers was saying, look, we don't want mega-sized returns from this industry. We think something akin to real estate infrastructure-like returns is what's needed. That's a you know, low single-digit returns, but many of the operators are not even achieving that. We're going to continue the conversation coming up on the show. I'll be speaking to the GSMA Director General Matt Granrid. Don't miss that first on CNBC conversation. And also, as I was just mentioning this afternoon, a huge keynote. I'll be moderating a panel, Europe's New Horizons, with the CEOs of Telefonica, Vodafone, Orange and Deutsche Telekom. I cannot remember when the four telecom CEOs had been on stage together. So we will bring you those highlights throughout the show tomorrow. And we also look to see what the future of connectivity in Europe will look like, Steve. Thank you very much, Karen. Right, Berkshire Hathaway reported a 28% rise in fourth quarter operating earnings, boosted by a huge gain in its insurance business. The company's cash pile grew to a record $167.6 billion. This is Warren Buffett warned that the conglomerate was running out of investment options. Arabile. Yeah, Steve, so certainly one of the interesting things, they're saying that the days of eye-popping gains are over, is the word then from Warren Buffett uh, with his investor letter then and shareholder letter then on Saturday, then saying essentially no candidates for capital deployment existed outside of the United States. Usually then in times when he's kept the powder dry, Perhaps the reinvestment in some of the shares that uh, Berkshire Hathaway already own have been the ones that they've looked towards. So this is pretty much what you're seeing when it comes to that share price. Then over the last year, there has consistently been a gradual rise in the share price, up 36% then. Uh, over the last year, of course, when you consider where the S&P 500 has gone more than 25% in the same time period as well. This is a comparison, as you can tell, 28% high over the last 12 months. Berkshire Hathaway has 
outdone the market when it comes to that. Of course, you do have some tech plays in, in this picture, Apple being a key part of that. There's a little bit of a defensive play, of course, in this portfolio when you consider that it still does have the, some of the lenders, Bank of America, American Express, as well as Citigroup, but also some of the oil players, right? The likes of Chevron also ex uh, included in the overall portfolio. Just to really take a look at some of the numbers here then. Since 1984, have returned 4.4 million when it comes, percent that is, uh, for the share price. So that would be very interesting to note. Now, net profit, as we've been noting, 96.2 billion, but that includes quarterly swings then in stock value, which of course Berkshire Hathaway will continue to say is not as important as the market puts it out to be. It's the second straight uh, record annual operating profit. Insurance, uh, the insurance company Geico seeing positive returns there. Interest rates also on the up. They've earned $5.5 billion in dividends versus $6.1 billion to note then in short-term treasuries and cash. So cash and treasuries giving them more than the dividend story overall. Also, Warren Buffett did use his shareholder letter to memorialize as well uh, as give tribute then to his longtime vice chair then and friend Charlie Munger then. Uh, while no successor has been announced in that position, he says that Charlie should forever be credited with being the architect of Berkshire Hathaway's growth. So using that letter to kind of give a clear sense of what he feels about his longtime friend and he says his brother. Thank you, Arabile. Uh, earnings season continues in Europe this week. Uh, tomorrow we'll get results from the UK asset manager Aberdeen. On Wednesday, luxury fashion house Moncler reports along with Swiss construction material firm Holosim. It ramps up on Thursday with uh, airline groups Air France KLM and IAG. Recruitment firm Adeco, chemical companies Clarion and Covestro and Belgian brewer AB InBev all reporting quarterly results. Uh, we're also expecting the latest U.S. core CPE data. Absolutely, without doubt, the most important data of the week. The price index, which is the Fed's preferred inflation metric, is actually expected to rise by 0.4% in January. And, and that is pivotal, Arabile, to the market thinking about where interest rates go next. It certainly is, Steve. And in fact, uh, it would be the second straight monthly uptick then in that PCE data, which again proves that inflation not necessarily moving in the straight line downwards. And that is why Fed commentary then of late has been noting that they'd want a consistent pathway towards 2% then and clear signs that it is headed in that direction. You saw a bit of a mixed picture then to close our trade uh, on Friday. But you did still see upticks and record numbers still uh, in this trade. The S&P 500 even briefly passed 5,100 points then uh, to close out the day then last week. The Dow Jones also picking up a record close there. Uh, as, as we've been noting, strong economy, real positive corporate earnings all playing into this picture. Of course, NVIDIA's bumper numbers are also adding to the gains then. That stock climbing 9.5% across all of last week. Micron Tech and Broadcom also uh, showing that the AI uh, spectrum had been in play in last week's numbers. Overall, in Asia, then, this is how we're looking. Japan's Nikkei 225 also hit a record high again then today after the long weekend there. It's paired some of the morning's gains. 
but it's still in record territory. They're up a third of a percent. Negative trade, though, for the Hang Seng Index, uh, down two-thirds of, uh, two of a percent, should I say, with the Shanghai Composite, nearly four-tenths of a percent weaker thus far. Of course, it's actually going to be interesting to see how things fare out of China then, what the manufacturing PMI set to headline the calendar then this week. The importance of the Fed's preferred inflation gauge uh, should not be understated when it comes to that picture. Overall, out of Europe then, well, it was a slow start to the week last week, but the stock 600 managed to find some gains to close out the week. A mix of data and earnings pushing the benchmark uh, towards its highest level on record it was pushed higher by the likes of the autos as well as technology stocks, which fell 0.3%. Unfortunately, though, to close out the trading picture on Friday, autos managed to gain one percent records broken though for the dax and the cac 40 we look like we may be headed a little bit weaker though to uh, start off this week u.s futures then as well as we've been speaking of course the pce data will be very important this week we're also seeing some negative trade as we head towards the open then a little bit later on this morning now, coming up on the show, Alibaba's chairman tells CNBC the U.S. and China need to find areas where they can work together. We'll bring you that exclusive interview next. Plus, more of our coverage then from the World Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Karen will be speaking to the Director General of GSMA later this hour. And stay tuned for more earnings interviews. We'll be speaking to the CEO of Bunzel. That's coming up at 9 a.m. CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Alibaba chairman Joe Tsai has told CNBC in an exclusive interview that investors want to see more from the company. Tsai said the Chinese tech giant has been hurt in recent years by greater competition as well as geopolitical tension, increased regulation and the macro environment. Well, Emily caught up with him in Macau and now joins us from Hong Kong. Emily, it's fascinating. Tell us more. Uh, good morning, Steve, uh, your side. And I got a chance to sit down uh, with the chairman of uh, China's biggest e-commerce company, the biggest retailer, uh, as they deal with a weak retail picture in the country, as well as a faltering economic recovery. Uh, we've seen uh, shares in Alibaba trade down. They're off something like 75% uh, from their peaks back in 2020, uh, troubled by what's going on, not to mention the geopolitics uh, uh, between Sino, U.S. and China. Uh, got a chance to speak to him about this. Uh, one of the reasons why investors have turned negative on the stock is on geopolitics. And we are leading up to a U.S. election come November. But no matter who wins the White House, uh, the expectation is that the Sino-U.S. relation is not expected to improve anytime soon. So I asked Joe Tsai uh, in an exclusive interview how he is positioning Alibaba for that. This is what he had to say. We 
can work on the things that we can control. Uh, geopolitics, uh, relationships between countries is something that's uh, difficult for us to uh, control, uh, but I think it does make sense for us to uh, read the situation carefully and try to predict what will happen. Uh, I think as I look out into the near future or the medium term future, uh, the relationship between China and the United States are going to be uh, challenged on the one hand, but also both governments have realized that the, the two countries need to work together because there's so many symbiotic things uh, in terms of trade, uh, financial flows, uh, and, and, and now exchange of uh, people. You know, we, we just came from the sports summit. We talk about how sports can unite the world uh, and that's very important as well. So I think that uh, uh, we, we, we're in the new normal, which is there's gonna be areas where the two countries that compete against each other very fiercely, but there are all, also other areas that uh, countries work with each other. And we will, as one of the companies that kind of uh, straddle uh, these worlds, we will have to learn how to deal with it and uh, make the best of it. Timu, Shein, TikTok, these are all gaining traction in the United States. Um, can we expect Alibaba to enter the U.S. market? Well, we're going to see. Uh, they, they have done a very good job uh, going into the U.S. market, and that's because the consumers, uh, they're bringing a value proposition to the consumers in the U.S. And uh, uh, the fact is China manufactured products are of high quality, and you can deliver them at reasonable prices. And that's a great consumer proposition. Uh, so uh, they're very aggressive in doing it and we're going to observe and, and, and uh, figure out what we wanna do. Having said that, the US is just one part of the world, right? There are other markets in the world where uh, we can play in. And uh, we have a platform called AliExpress. We also have a platform in Turkey called Trendial. Uh, and they have done a very good job in other parts of the world and uh, uh, we'll continue to execute our strategy there. We also discussed uh, where the company's share price is trading, uh, down 75% from its peak, as I mentioned. Uh, and uh, this is on the back of the company announcing a major corporate overhaul and then walking back some of it. Uh, they were going to split into six business lines and spin them all off. Uh, but then the cloud IPO got canceled and the China Logistics now uh, just waiting in the wings. So the application has been submitted to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, but it is a matter of waiting for the right timing. Uh, Joe Tsai is saying, that uh, basically uh, it's going to be about the company's performance in terms of getting its share price up again. Uh, it's really how well we compete and how we serve our customers and those areas where in the context of restructuring they're looking into trying to improve themselves. And he also mentioned, Steve, uh, we were both in Macau uh, for a summit talking about sports. He's also the owner of the NBA Brooklyn Nets and he mentioned about Sino-US impact on the NBA uh, and he said basically that so through sport, uh, it, there's a common language there, and through sport, he thinks that they'll be a more peaceful and safer place. Back to you for now. Emily, thank you so much for that. Then uh, Emily Tan, of course, joining us on that one. For more on Emily's interview, including why Joe Tai says Baba is back, check out cnbc.com. Now, success, not returns. Petrochemicals billionaire and INEOS chief Sir Jim Ratcliffe says 
He's focused on winning trophies after his investment in Manchester United. Ratcliffe told me he's not necessarily looking to make a profit. It's not really driven by it. Not, I mean, my investment in Manchester United has nothing to do with ROI. It's just that's a, you know, that's, I'd, I'd just like to see Manchester United back to where it should be. Ratcliffe was launching Ineos's debut electric vehicle, the Fusilla, sorry, uh, but said uh, EVs aren't the only solution to decarbonisation. The biggest issue in, in Europe is that the, the, the European legislators at the moment see the solution for everything and everybody being the electric vehicle. And I think ultimately there will be a range of solutions um, for transportation issues. I mean, we've, there's obviously a large automotive fleet in the world with a large carbon footprint, and we need to decarbonise that footprint. There needs to be a trajectory where every year the footprint improves. But there are a range of different solutions that are not all ready to go at the moment. Like hydrogen, for instance, is one, one example. But what we, I think what they need to be careful of in Europe is they don't force... A, one solution down everybody's throat for, 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 all, for all options. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.